landing. Did that really happen? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. They make you look real good in movies, don't they? Yeah. Maybe we'll get to that. We'll let Pastor Jeremy cover that. When the week comes. Hey guys, welcome to Eastgate Church. I'm so glad that y'all are here today. Are we awake and ready to have some fun? Yeah. 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 If you're a guest here today, my name is Josh. I'm pastor here, which means I am the lead servant of the church. And we are so excited that you're here today. You're not uh, just a guest here anymore. You're family, so make yourself at home. We are at the beginning of what's going to be a really fun series over the last... Several weeks, we've given you guys cards and asked you to write down your questions and topics that you'd like to see addressed. And uh, boy, that, y'all put in some good ones. You put in some good ones. And today, we're going to dive into a few of those. And uh, man, I, I can't wait. I cannot wait. Today, it, it's not going to be too controversial today. I don't think it's going to be too heavy today um, or too tense. Um, we're just going to kind of go over some lightweight stuff. We're going to talk about... Um, illegal immigration, the refugee crisis, um, gun control. Does the Bible say that we actually have a right to bear arms? And what? Uh, how should a, a Christian approach all this political mess that's going on in our country today? So easy stuff, right? Yeah, life. easy stuff, easy stuff to handle. So um, I'm going to be quiet for a little bit, and I'm going to let some of you guys come up. And answer some of these questions, because, dang, y'all asked them. You guys should get up here and answer some of these jokers. Um, Amen. It ought to be fun. It ought to be fun. We're going to have, I'm excited about the the ice cream party at the end of service next week, though. We're officially calling it Pastor Brad's Ice Cream Party. (laughs) Pastor Brad's Ice Cream Party. If you're a guest here, you might not know, we've recently changed names of our church here the last few months, and so the staff and the leaders have had this little thing going on. Whoever gets up here and says the wrong name has to buy ice cream for everybody. And so Pastor Brad had a slip last week, and uh, Pastor Jeremy's had a little slip. So far, I'm batting a 1,000 on it, I think. So no slips from, from me, but ice cream party, Pastor Brad's ice cream party, I guess side-sponsored by Pastor Jeremy. It's going to be fun. So after Family Sunday... We're going to have some fun. Chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, cookies and cream. Got some sherbet we're going to throw in there. If you want to see your favorite ice cream, let me know what it is. We'll try to make that happen for you next week. But are you guys ready to jump into this today? (laughs) I'm not. No, actually, I'm, 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 I'm ready for this. Uh, We were joking this morning about this because, um, look, the Bible is pretty clear about some things. And, and sometimes it's easy to get caught up in what's happening on a surface level and what's happening in the country and lose sight of what the Bible says about specific topics and issues and what biblical principles apply to different areas of life. And in my experience, it's been pretty easy just to decomplicate things and just do what the Bible says. It's been pretty easy to do that. Um, when, when we get our opinions and our imposed priorities put on the Word of God, that's when things start to get a little complicated. Um, We live in an incredibly, incredibly divided time in our country. There is, like, used to be there would be middle ground when it came to political issues. You know, you would have the right side and you'd have the left side and somewhere in the middle you'd have you know, some, the middle ground people or libertarians, and they float both ways depending on what the issue is, and they're camping out somewhere in the middle. You don't really have that anymore, though. You're seeing a major polarization in our country. 
Politics has shifted from being governing issues of our nation. It has shifted into a philosophical and almost an ideological and religious approach to some of these issues. That's very disturbing, and it can also be very encouraging, too, when you back up and you take a big picture view of biblical prophecy and how things are going to play out and how they um, are kind of playing out in front of us today. People are on edge. They don't know how to respond to stuff. Um, and I don't know about you, depending on the crowd that you're in, you, you might feel a little gun-shy with bringing up your views because, you know, you're, going, you're about to get blasted, you know. And if you're a Christian and you have biblical views on issues and topics and you speak them out, we live in a largely secular society, and odds are you're going you're to catch some flack because of it. And so there's been a quiet censorship that's taken place in our country too, and I think that's pretty jacked up. Uh, I think we ought to have freedom to talk about issues and talk about um, the things without fear of getting put in the corner. You know what I mean? I think PC's done a whole lot of damage to us as a country. And there's an agenda behind that as well. It's funny. I was at, like, it's everywhere. Everybody's on nerve depending on what the topic is. I was at Home Depot. Had y'all heard about the, the great Home Depot revolution of 2018? Yeah, I heard about that. All right. Well, I was involved in the great Home Depot revolution of 2018. All right. Let me tell you what happened. I went to Home Depot, and Home Depot's got this thing going on where, like, every time you go to checkout, you guys have been to Home Depot, they ask you, would you like to put that on your Home Depot credit card? And they try to sign you up, you know. And I don't even know if they still do this. I think they do. Used to, they had the little sign up there that said, if you don't get asked about a credit card, you get a free Coke. And I thought, well, that was kind of cool. Unless you had a credit card already, then you didn't qualify for the coat, um, which is where the Great Revolution comes into play. So I was checking out at Home Depot, and the cashier asked me, would you like to put this on your depot card? And I was like, nah, I already I got one, and I don't like using it for stuff like that. I'm just going to pay. Him. Okay, and I read the sign. I'm like, hey, so if I sign up for a new card today, um, and it, it also said, if you forget to ask me, and if I sign up for a card, then I get a code for signing up for a card. And she said, yeah. But if I already have a card, I don't get the Coke. She's like, no. I said, well, that's kind of that's kind of messed up. And I was joking. And I said, isn't that kind of discriminating against me because I carry a card already? Why would you show favor to somebody that doesn't have a card and not to me as a loyal customer who might be using the card? And I was just messing with her. Her brain locked up. Didn't know, you could just see the gears stop. Uh, uh, and I should have let her off. I should have let her off. But you know how sometimes like this little dude will jump up on your shoulder and like push you over the line and get you to say things that sometimes you probably shouldn't say. It's like the comedian said when he was getting arrested, um, the officer told him that he had the right to remain silent, but he didn't have the ability to do that. And so I... I, I opened my mouth, and, and I pushed it a little bit further, and, uh, and I said, well, I wonder, I wonder what a manager might say about that. I had no agenda. I just wanted to see how far this would go. She freaked out. Um, okay, I'll be right back. Just stopped everything to go get a manager over a Coke issue, all right? I've shut this whole section of Home Depot now over a Coke and people are starting to get in line behind me. The manager comes over. What's the issue? I'm like, man, I, you know, 
And she, she went through the spill for me. Well, he's, he's saying that it's not fair for him to not get a Coke because he's got a card already and we're giving cards away. And the manager just looked at me like, are you serious right now? I got 10 million things to do and you're wasting my time with this, which I get because I'd probably be doing the same thing. Like, here's some punk causing me trouble. And, and so the manager said, well, just give him one and, and get him out the door is pretty much what he said, paraphrased. And so she went over and got me a Coke out of the little uh, the machine and, and gave it to me. And she goes, here's your Coke. And I said, cool. And then I looked back at all the people behind me. And I said, you know what? It's really not fair for me to get a Coke and all these people behind me not to get a Coke either. Is it? Um, um, uh, manager hadn't even walked away, and he stopped, turned around. Are you kidding me right now? And so, so I turned around, and I started a small ride. I said, look, I said, wouldn't it be nice for you guys to get a free Coke too and not just me? And everybody in line was like, Yeah! Free Cokes. And so they freaking out. And the manager was like, are you sick? Okay, fine. Free Cokes. So everybody in our line got a free Coke. Free Coke for you. Free Coke for you. Free Coke for you. Free Coke for you. Just because I leveraged political correctness and fairness to my advantage in a situation. I said, pastors do stuff. Boy, it sure was fun. It sure was fun. Um, I wouldn't make a practice out of it. I just wanted to see how far I could get with it, you know. Uh, and it was crazy. People are on edge. They don't know how to respond to things, and they don't know how to react to things. And a lot of people don't know where the level ground is. Our nation is very divided and fearful in some aspects, and you're starting to see a polarization, not just a separation of ideas, but a polarization of ideology on how this nation is supposed to be operated and what law should or should not govern us. Now, what's disturbing is that's not just out in secular society. We're seeing a lot of that creep into the church, which is incredibly concerning to me as a pastor, and it ought to be incredibly concerning to you as a believer in the gospel. Okay? The church exists to influence culture. Culture does not influence the church. Okay? We live our lives on a few words. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? How do biblical principles apply to the issues of life? That governs us as believers in the gospel. Not what gets played on CNN. Not what gets played on Fox News. Okay? The Bible. What does the Bible say? And so we have to come to that to look at our stance on issues and our approach to how we interact with society. And what I want to do today is this. We're going to look at some of these issues that you guys are asking questions about. We're going to answer them from the Bible. We're going to give biblical principles. And I promise you this. If you're leaning this way a little bit, you're not going to like my answers. If you're leaning this way a little bit more, you're not going to like my answers. Okay? Because I'm not here to give you my opinion. All right? I'm here to give you what the Bible says. Okay, and how to operate in wisdom and what is becoming incredibly volatile times out there. Um, and according to the Bible, it's probably not going to get a whole lot better before it's all said and done. So how do we interact? What governs our decision-making process? And how do we avoid becoming pawns to a political system that wants to play us and manipulate us to get our votes and shape culture in the way that they see fit? And it happens all the time. So get your Bibles and open them up, or your tablets, whatever you got. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. 
This is Jesus giving the great commission. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. This right here is the motivating factor for everything that we do as Christians. Our actions, our conduct, our words, um, the, the way we vote, how we carry ourselves. Is it putting us in a place to better spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is our mission as a church. To go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. To not promote a political party's agenda but to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, all interaction in life has to go through that filter if you're a follower of Jesus. No exceptions, because we're all called to carry out the Great Commission, right? If we're going to carry out the Great Commission, then we've got to put ourselves in a position to be able to do that well and to be effective in what we're doing and to not get distracted by talking points or philosophies or issues or circumstances, things that are going to pop up in our personal life or on a national or on a global scale, none of that can take away our number one mission, and that's to reach this world for Jesus Christ. That's got to be the filter. That's got to be the filter, all right? Y'all should be saying amen right there. That has to be the filter for everything. Does this promote the gospel of Jesus or does this promote something else? And if it's promoting something else, as Christians, we've got to scrap it and focus on doing what God has called us to do in reaching this world that is on its way to hell if we don't do something about it. Okay? There are too many families falling apart. There are too many people caught up in addiction. There are too many kids killing themselves today. There are too many, too many broken hearts, broken homes, and broken lives. There are too many people dying and going to hell for us to get distracted by this stuff. We have got to reach them with the gospel because Jesus is a solution for every issue that's out there. It's not going to come from Washington. It's not going to come from City Hall in Atlanta. It is going to come from the church because we have the solution for every problem that our society is scrambling trying to solve today. He's Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's why we have to be about the mission of preaching the gospel and letting these people know about the solution that we're carrying with us. And it's so easy to get taken off track with that. Jesus is the solution, not another, not another law. Not another law, not another government program. The government's probably doing a lot of stuff right now that the church should be doing. The government right now is doing a lot of stuff, listen to me, that the church used to do. But we surrendered that role in our country over to the government to let them take care of the issue and not us. So, so see, that, that, that probably would have been a good, uh, another good amen point right there, too. Um, now, I want to get you thinking in a lot of different directions today, all right? So what you can't do is you can't get aggravated with Pastor Josh this morning, all right? So everybody say, Pastor Josh, I love you. That's nice to hear. I appreciate that. <laughs> Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> uh, Jesus, Jesus talking, uh, actually praying over his disciples in John 17, uh, starting in verse 14. He says, I've given them your word, 
and the world has hated them. I know that's the truth. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So we're not of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You ever heard that phrase, like Christians were called to be in the world, not of the world? Well, this is where this comes from. All right, we are in it. We are on this planet, but we are not of this world. All right, we represent the kingdom of God. We represent his agenda. We represent the spreading of the gospel. So while we're in it physically, spiritually, we got another home and another kingdom that we're representing. So that has to be a plow or a filter out in front of us as these issues come at us to know where to put them. If my priority is the gospel, and I know that I'm in this world, not of this world, then how do I approach these issues? How involved do I get? And how emotionally connected do I get to these things? Is it going to help me better serve the gospel, or is it going to distract me from the gospel? Um, Because here's what the world's going to tell you. The world's going to tell you there's a couple of solutions, and it's either going to look like a donkey, or it's going to look like an elephant. All right, It's going to represent one party's policies and agenda, or it's going to look like another party's policy and agenda. And both sides, see, some of you are about to freak out when I say this. I think both sides have some good solutions to some problems. The problem is all the other stuff that they want to cram down your throat with those good solutions to the problems. Um, and the, ideolo- the ideology that comes with it gets dangerous. All right? I know I'm kind of belaboring a point, but the solution for the problems in this world isn't going to come from a a donkey, and it's not going to come from an elephant. It's going to come from the cross. It's going to come from the cross. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the solution. All right? Now, that's not going to be popular because if you, if you hop up on a political platform and you say, look, guys, Jesus is a, is a solution for, for all of this stuff, scrap the 10 million laws that we have. Let's just go back to... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And let's just walk that out and see how that plays out in our country for a while. People are going to lose their mind. But that would be a pretty good way to start, I think. You know, Um, The gospel, what God has called us to do as a church, is radically different from what you see coming out of Washington or in any government right now. Um, just to show you this, in Joshua uh, chapter 5, Joshua was getting ready to attack Jericho. And, and we kind of get a glimpse of God's point of view on some of this stuff and really what our point of view should be as a church. Now, Joshua was near Jericho, and he took up, or he looked up, and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? And God says, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua wanted to know, hey, are you for us or are you for the the people we're about to fight? And the dude said, I'm I'm, neither, neither. I brought my own can to open up myself in this battle. I'm not sharing with you and I'm not sharing with them. I represent, I represent the kingdom of God. There's a division there. 
we have got to mentally make that decision that we represent the kingdom of God and not get caught. I want to stay on this for a little while, okay? Because this is a big problem in the church. Not get caught up on talking points and what you're going to see in quick little cute videos that are designed to, to pull your emotional heartstrings to get you to go one way or another in an issue. We have got to operate above that as people of God and be about the Father's business. Okay? Make sense? All right. Um, one of the best examples I ever saw of this, it, a guy was breaking it down and he compared it to football. Like, how many of y'all like football? Yeah. Uh, I love football. I love football. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Falcons fan. I wish they were playing a lot better right now. But the Falcons have got a rival, and they're called the Saints. Falcons and the Saints. All right. Those two teams are never going to get along with each other. Those two fan bases are probably never going to get along with each other. Ever. When they get the field, the Falcons' goal is to run all over the Saints, praise God, and destroy them and beat them 42 to nothing or better. The Saints, the same goal. And if you're a Saints fan here today, God's grace be upon you. We forgive you. Um, you're in Falcons country right now. But... Um, it may be. We've got Minnesota fans in here. We've got Bear fans in here and all that stuff. I, I get that. But the opposing teams are always going to be fighting each other. I'm going to stop you. You're going to stop me. I'm going to try to score. You're going to try to score. We're never going to get along on this field. All right? Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, liberals, never going to get along. The goal is to stop each other. I dare say that in the climate that we live in today, it's not even about what's going to make America better. It's about us beating you and getting our way so that we can be in power. And it has very little to do with the benefit of our country. At least from how I see it. I'm not going to throw a whole lot of my opinion out today, but I guess that was part of it. <laughs> are you really interested in America or are you interested in just holding some power. These teams are never going to get along with each other. All right? But there's a third group of people on the field while the game is being played, and it's the referees. Okay? Now, the referees are on the field, but they're not of the field. Okay? They are overseeing the game that is taking place, but they're not operating out of the playbook of the teams that are playing each other. They don't answer to the coaches of the teams that are there. They, they answer to a higher authority. And that is the NFL office that's located in New York. I think it's still up in New York. They answer and they represent that power and that authority. That's why when Mr. Referee reaches out and pulls that flag right there, he can shut the whole game down if he wants to. Okay? Because he's not caught up in the agenda of the team. He's there. He's there to execute the authority of the NFL office over the game. Completely different thing. That's the church. We're on the field, but we're not caught up in this game. We're here to represent and execute the kingdom authority that's been given to us by Jesus to promote the gospel on this earth while we still have time to do it. We're on this field, but we're not caught up in the game. We've got our own agenda. We've got our own priorities. We've got our own thing that we're trying to do. Does that make sense? I know I'm kind of beating this to death, but you would be surprised how many Christians don't get this. And they'll die on the hill of conservative points of view while the world goes to hell. 
and they'll die on a hill of liberal viewpoints and not give a rip about people that are dying and going to hell. And we'll argue till we're blue in the face on how this policy is supposed to be done or how that policy is supposed to be done and not invite one person to church and not share our faith with one person outside the walls of the church and wonder why the world is so jacked up. It's because we're distracted as a church, caught up with all the stuff going on in the game instead of being the refs representing the higher authority. Make sense? Um see it all the time. And here's a problem. This is a big problem. Um, we're going to get to the issues here in a, in a minute, but I, I don't just want to deal with a, an issue or an issue. I want to give a complete biblical view of this stuff, okay? What we should be doing, how we should, could, should probably be approaching these things, and how it all falls into place, and the larger picture of biblical prophecy. Here's a problem with people. People in general, and sometimes I'm guilty of this, people in general, most people's responses to issues are usually emotionally based and, uh, and they're based on limited or one-sided information. Most people respond that way. As a pastor, I see this all the time. I don't know how many fires I put out where one person just goes nuclear level, just, just gets so angry over an issue. Did you hear what so-and-so did? No, I didn't hear what so-and-so did. What did so-and-so do? Well, so-and-so did such-and-such. They did? Yeah. How do you know that? Well, so-and-so told me. So-and-so told you, but the other so-and-so did. They did such-and-such. Yep. Do you know that for a fact? Well, so-and-so said it. Okay, so you haven't verified your information. Well, I, and here you are, all worked up over something, from another person's point of view and information that you're getting, and you haven't taken the time to get all the information in the situation, and you're upset about something that you might not even need to be upset about. Well, I, I, interpolitical issues. Okay? We get emotionally involved in things. And look, sometimes I do too. Sometimes I have to stop and put that filter out and realign myself and say, okay, what, what, what's really going on here? All right, am, am I biting on an emotional hook that somebody's throwing out, or am I backing up to consider all of the information? And as Christians, we are required to consider all of the information. All right, not just the practical things that are happening, but the larger spiritual practical application and how it comes into play from a biblical worldview. Most people's response are usually emotionally based, and, and, and they're based on limited or one-sided information. That's why if you are more on the right side of things, you're going to quickly believe any news source is going to spit out something that even remotely lines up with your point of view, and you're not going to verify all the information. All right? Same thing on the left. That sounds right because it comes pretty close to how I believe already, and we don't verify information. We don't check stories. You realize probably upwards of 90% or better of these news sources that are blowing up social media, some dude drinking Dr. Pepper in his basement that went out and bought a, a business name and got licensed and is sitting down and just blogging, and his whole organization is just him, and he's slapping a picture on a template and throwing out clickbait 
and he's writing whatever he wants to with no accountability at all, and people are grabbing it and treating it like real news and not verifying anything on both sides. That's irresponsible. It's irresponsible, but the political parties and the, the media outlets know that most people respond this way. Not all people respond emotionally. Not all people grab stuff to form opinions on partial information, but most people do. If they didn't, you wouldn't see the political attacks that you see come election season. Because this is what they want. They know that all they have to do, all they have to do is come up with some scenario, okay, to get you to not like their opponent on an emotional level. That's all they want to do. They want to vilify the person. And if they can paint that person to be ugly enough as, a, as an individual and sick enough morally or whatever the deal, if they, can, if they can just work up a negative picture, they know that most people aren't going to give a flying rip about their policies because they're going to be ticked off because of what they said or what they did. Even if it's 30 years ago, they'll drag this stuff up. Both sides, they do it. And the news media, boy, they're just as guilty. They spin that. Everybody do this. This is what happens. When you turn on the local news, this is what you're getting. When you check out Fox News, that's what you're getting. When you check out CNN or MSNBC, all that, that's what you're getting. You're getting news through the filter of the direction that they want you to think or go. And if you think it's not happening, I got some oceanfront property in Arizona I'd love to sell you. I'd love to sell it to you. It's happened. And here's how it works. Say, let's say I was running for president. Okay? I wouldn't because I don't want that job. It's not, to me, it's not worth what you have to go through. But let's say you're, you're running for president. I just don't get it. You wake up and every day and somebody's there. It's like, good morning, Mr. President. What's on the agenda today? Problems. Problems here, problems there, problems here, problems there. Problems, problems, problems. That's what you get to deal with today. That's not the life that I want. That's why dudes go into office looking great, and when they leave office, they got gray hair. Their face is like all stretched out. They're so sleep-deprived, you know. Um, let's say I was running for president, and I was giving a speech, and I, after the end of the speech, I was just shaking hands and greeting people, and somebody there was, was there with a dog. And I walked up, and I said, ah, cool, you got a dog. And it was a really cool-looking dog. And I said, man, that's an awesome-looking dog. I love dogs. You have a good day. And I walk off. And all I said was, I love dogs. And there's a reporter that's there that's going to say, wow, he said he loved dogs. The headline's going to come out, Josh Pate hates cats. <laughs> that's the story that's going to come out. Because I said, I like dogs. I got to hate cats. That's going to be the tagline on the story. Now, if you read, you're going to say, it's going to say that I love dogs. Now, this big story comes out. Josh Pate hates cats. Now, all the cat lovers in the country are going to say, why does he hate cats? What is the big deal? I love my cat. Fluffy means the world to me. How can you hate Fluffy? You're a sick person. Cats are more loving than dogs. <clears throat> Bull. But let's say cats are more loving than dogs. Cats are more loving than dogs. Now, all the cat lovers in the country get worked up, and my opponent begins to campaign. Well, we all know where he stands on this. 
I like dogs too, but I also love cats. And we can't trust a man that doesn't like cats because if he doesn't like cats, is he really going to be good for your family? Here comes the smear campaign on the news. Cats this, cats that. Cat activists are now throwing money at my opponent. Cat activists are now buying hate ads and running this stuff to go against. I hate cats. I hate cats. And now another problem pops up. Just because I said I like dogs, this group says we don't like him because he says he hates cats. I never said I hated cats. That never happened. Now the rest of the animal lover society is going, what about us? What's wrong with parakeets? Why's it all got to be about cats and dogs? You know, why not parakeets? Why not my gerbil? Why not guinea pigs? And so a whole national movement goes and starts for guinea pig rights. Guinea pigs are just as important as cats and dogs. Don't you people understand that? Well, we know he hates, he loves dogs and he hates everything else. Not only do I love cats and dogs, but you know what? I care about your guinea pig too. And here it goes. Just because I said, yeah, y'all understand what I'm saying right here? Just because I said I love dogs, here the spin comes and people don't know the difference because we get caught up emotionally and what's going on and we don't verify information. Don't do that. The Bible encourages us to walk in wisdom. You know, in Proverbs where it says, one person's side of an argument seems right until the other person comes in to tell their part of the story, you got to get all the information and make sure you're making decisions that are going to impact this country and our children. And listen to me now, our, in, in, in a real sense, impact our ability to spread the gospel, we've got to make sure that we're making decisions that are based in wisdom and not emotional knee-jerks because somebody's playing, somebody's playing the game and throwing out the spin. You've got to be careful. So and with that said, let's start talking about illegal immigration. Illegal immigration. Everybody go, whoo! Yeah. This is not as complicated a topic as a lot of people think that it is. In church, there's a division on this, though. Some people are like, the law says they shouldn't be here. Pack them up, send them back where they came from. And there's another group in the church that says, yeah, but we're supposed to show people love and be compassionate, too. And that's not what our country was founded on. Our country was founded on the principle of giving people a place to come to if they were in trouble and letting people have an opportunity to start a new life to better themselves and their family. Yeah, but the law says this. The law allows for that. The law allows for people to come into this country legally and go through that process. And people that abuse it should be kicked out and deported because they're breaking the law. And affecting our country in a negative way. What does the Bible say about that? Uh, some fun stuff. Romans 13. Now, I told you that there were going to be points in this message where you were going to become probably aggravated at me. Depending on which way you lean on these issues. Give me time. And I'm going to present a full circle point of view because one of the larger problems in the church with this issue is that we are not considering all points of scripture 
We are just responding emotionally to something and grabbing verses to back up how we lean because of our emotional reaction to a situation. Okay? I say that with all the love in my heart. But that's what we're doing. We're getting caught up in the game. So Romans 13. Let's start off with this. It says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against that or rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Romans 13.5 says this, following that same line of thought. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. So if laws are in place, as citizens, we should adhere to those laws. What Paul is saying here. Now, I know what you're thinking. What if the laws are jacked up and I don't agree with them? There's a time and a place to handle that, and it's called the voting booth. But what you got to ask yourself is this, all right? Am I casting a vote on an issue in full circle wisdom? Or am I reacting emotionally to something that I saw or that I heard? Okay? Paul, when he's writing this, he's writing this under the authority of a dude named Nero who was emperor at the time. Nero did some of the most sick and heinous things to people and especially to Christians than anyone else in all of history. Hitler, Hitler was an amateur in persecuting the Jews when it came to how Nero persecuted Christians. And here you find Paul writing this and saying, hey, even when someone is sick and twisted as that, you need to follow the laws. And abide. Even though we're in and not of, you still got to follow the laws. You can't go 200 miles down I-20 and a cop pull you over and go, Hi, you don't realize, I get it, I get it. I'm a Christian. I'm really not a citizen of this world. He's still going to write you up a ticket, and you're probably still going to go to jail. You know, the uh, rules are the rules. So there are immigration laws in place. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, but you got the other side of this, too. Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Mark 12, 30. Reads like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like this. Talking about the two major commandments. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So we're called to obey the law, but we're also called to show love and compassion to people. Is there a way to make this issue work from a Christian point of view? It's funny because a lot of the laws that people are losing their minds over seeing enforced right now have been on the books for decades. Decades, decades, decades. Um, going back to the last three presidents, um, even going back to Clinton, Bush, and Obama, a lot of these laws were on the books when these guys were there. doesn't matter what party is in control at the time. 
Um, and a lot of them even made speeches addressing um, they need to do something about immigration. But none of them really did anything hardcore or hard-lined about it until our current administration started enforcing the laws that were already in place as with regard to immigration. Pastor Josh, does that mean we need to fall in line and get behind what's happening? Not necessarily. Because anytime a written law goes head-to-head with the Word of God, the Word of God has to win every time. Okay, What does that mean? That means that if as a pastor, it comes down from the highest authority that pastors are not to deny marriage to same-sex couples, do I have to follow that law? If I do that, I'm violating biblical mandate. I'm not going to do that. It doesn't mean that I don't love homosexuals, because I do. It just means that I love my Jesus enough to do what he says. No hate there. If you're a Christian doctor and it comes down that you are mandated by law to perform abortions, the Bible wins every time. Slap the cuffs on me if you got to. I'm not going to hurt the heart of my Lord. You know? Um, so, do we let these people in? Do we not let these people in? And what do you do with these refugees that are fleeing horrible situations to try to make better lives for themselves in America? That is not an easy topic. Now, I'm not a politician, and I'm not going to touch on all of the scenarios and possibilities involved with that. Okay? Um, is it important to protect the sovereignty of a nation? Yeah. I think that benefits us as a church tremendously because if America is in America, the gospel is greatly hurt in the world. So there's that to consider. Um, there's, there's a lot of different... Should, should we just let all these refugees in and give them food? Or should we vet them at the border and put them through a, print, a screening process even if that means they have to go into temporary camps until we're able to process them to bring them into the country after we've had a chance to screen them. There's wisdom in that. Because if we're honest, at the end of the day, can we afford, can we afford to take care of all of them as a country? Can we afford to give them all jobs? Can we afford to give them all health care? Can we afford to raise their kids? Can we afford to do that? So there's a, an element of wisdom that has to come into play. Separating the emotional elements of this, there's wisdom that has to come into play in a situation like this. And this is what we're seeing in lack in the country, and we're seeing it in lack in the church. It's wisdom. Europe invited a lot of refugees in. I remember the Syrian refugee crisis that happened not too long ago, and there was a big debate here in the country on whether or not we should let them in. Europe suspended their immigration laws. Suspended most of their immigration laws and welcomed these refugees in to a lot of the countries. And I think that's a noble act. Was it the wisest thing to do? Don't know. Because as a direct result of that, immediately crime shot through the roof. They started having problems with people, acid attacks, things like that. Um, people that were criminals in those countries came to their country, and they did criminal things in their country where vetting and screening might not have gotten rid of all of that but could have prevented a lot of it. Women were being raped 
on the side of the road in public places. Y'all remember reading about this stuff? All kinds of problems. They are still dealing with the, um, with the uh, financial impact of that decision. All these countries are running out of money because they can't take care of those people. Their intention was good. Now, I want you to hear me. The intention was good, but practically they were trying to do something impossible because there wasn't enough money, you know? So in a situation like that, I think in a way you have to do for one what you wish you could do for all and do your best with saving the starfish that are on the beach and get to as many as you can, but I don't know that you can reach and save all of them. Wisdom. I'm not promoting an agenda here. I'm just working through this realistically and in a common sense way. Um, So at the border... You have this refugee crisis happening at the southern border right now, and you got immigrants come across at the southern border. Most of the focus is on the southern border. Um, so do you suspend all immigration laws and just let anybody come in? It becomes problematic because if we don't learn from the history of what happened in Europe, then we'll see it repeated here in our country. You know, um, Is our country financially in a position to be able to take care of all of them. I think we're in a better position now, but I don't know. We've still got a lot of debt out there. Let's, let's bring it home to a personal level, all right? Let's say we wanted to help all of these people. And let's say we did our part, because there's a lot of things practically we can do um, as Christians. While the law is a law, and I don't know that it's being handled the best way, but they're doing it the best way a government could do something. Because Listen, anytime the government's going to do something, they're going to jack it up some way. Doesn't matter who's in. Doesn't matter who's in, in, in power. They're going to jack it up somehow, some way. Why? Because the government doesn't have the best track record of doing what citizens and individuals and churches should be doing. Um, so we can we can send aid to those people through great avenues, like Convoy of Hope is a great ministry that's actually down there working right now and filling in gaps um, and taking care of people, giving them food, giving them clothes. Um, while, while they're in the waiting process and all this is going on, Convoy of Hope is doing a great work right now in the Bahamas. They just got devastated by this re- recent hurricane. You know? So as Christians, there are practical things we can do to help with that effort. Long term, though, we have to ask ourselves some questions. So let's say we wanted to personally do our part. So we invite all the refugees to come to our personal homes. Because we want to love them and we want to take care of them. Now, on a governmental level, that sounds awesome because it's somebody else taking care of the problem. But let's just say we did it personally, okay? Um, which I think you could look in the Bible and say, well, if I'm loving my neighbor myself, then I should be able to take care of some of these people. But let me ask you a question. How many could you take care of? Practically. I'm not jumping on any sides. I'm going to balance this out in a minute. We're just looking at this from a, a perspective of wisdom, okay? How many could you fit in your home and on your property? Could you fit them all? Probably not, okay? Now, here's another question. Um, do you have kids? Do you have family that you care about? Because I hear a lot of time, well, we should just let them in and take care of them and not worry about vetting or screening because these are people that hurt and people that are in need. And we, as Christians, we should love them and we should see these people come in. That's great. Let me ask you a question. Do you lock your door at night? If you lock your door at night, raise your hand. 
All right. I'm kind of setting you up here. Common sense thinking through this. Do you lock your door at night? Why do you lock your door? Is it because you hate everyone that lives around you and you hate all the people in the city that you live in? Or do you lock your door because you love the people that live inside of that home and you want some kind of measure of protection there? Make sense? Um, so keeping a door locked at the border and just letting people come in a bit at a time. See, we would do that at our house, probably. If you got kids, would you just let anyone come in from another country? Or would you be interested in knowing if those people have a history of rape? Or if these people have a history of child molestation? If they're going to be in your home with your kids, wouldn't you want to know that? I mean, as a parent, wouldn't you want to know that? Um, do they have a history of violence? Do they have criminal history where they rob? You know, these are, these are things that I would want to know, you know. So we would probably want to, at least to some degree, vet these people if they came into our homes. In principle, I think that might transfer to the border a little bit, just from a point of wisdom. Um, how many of these people could you, if they were all there, whether you vetted them or not, okay, if they were all there, how many of them could you personally afford to feed and clothe and take care of in addition to your own household? And if you're like me, not many. Not many. You know, I don't have the extra money to be housing a couple of hundred, fifty, two hundred, three hundred, ten thousand refugees, though I would love to. I would love to be able to. To, to at least do my part to make sure that people don't hurt like that. But practically, I'm only able to do so much and only able to provide for so much and without doing detriment to my family. What good does it do to me to invite all these people in and, what, and, and invest all my resources in them and then do it at the cost of my home? Now I have nowhere to house these people. And while I've done a temporary good, I've set myself up for long term, not being able to have a lasting impact with that issue. Make sense? So when you, when you get it out of government land and you bring it down to what, would, what can I do personally, it's different. Because there's only so much space. There's only so much resource. Um, there's wisdom in, in, in vetting. Um, and the Bible encourages us to operate. You know, so we can't just say... It's all grace and we bring them all in because the Bible says to love. No, we can love them and do what we can. But I think biblically it's probably wise to do that from a position of wisdom and not overstretch our means. Um, now, you may or may not disagree with me right now. Like I said, depending on which way you lean. But I'm, I'm, I'm pretty neutrally working through this process. Um, so if you lived in a neighborhood and somebody was trying to do that, Here's what we would all say when it reached the point where the individual couldn't do it anymore. We'd say it was the HOA's responsibility to take up the cause at that point, right? It's always the government's job to do that. Well, where's the government going to get the funds? See, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. Well, we got enough money. Do we really have enough money? Should we be, we be spending all of those resources? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but these are... These are questions of wisdom that you have got to be able to see something from a full circle picture. Should we deny our veterans in this country medical care so that we can invest multiple 
billions, tens of billions of dollars taking care of people who are here illegally? See, these are, these are legitimate things we need to think through. And I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm throwing out scenarios to get us to think. That's my goal today. I want you to start thinking, in case you haven't, to begin to think about all the angles. <clears throat> so you can't just say, kick them all out. No, we're called to love. We're called to show compassion. And I think we're called to help those that we can help. But Jesus even said, the poor you're always going to have among you. That's something that's probably never going to go away. So we help the ones that we can help. Okay? But at the same time, we can't say, suspend all law, throw everything against the wall, because that's not wise. And I think that opens up the door. So what do we do? Got to operate in middle ground on that to do it biblically correct. I don't think it's one way or the other. I think you marry the two, and you make the best decision you can off those two principles. Make sense? Um, we're going to have to stop there. Um, next week, we're not going to be able to pick this up. But week after that, we're going to finish this up. We're going to talk about gun control. We're going to talk about gun laws. We're going to talk about whether or not the Bible says that we actually even have a right to do all this. Is this, is this good stuff this morning? Um, hopefully, I'm landing in more middle ground. My goal is to get you guys to think more than anything else. The goal is to get us to think because these are not, these are not simple issues to process through. And we're asking government to do an impossible job um, because I don't know that if we were there, we could even make it work in a beautiful way because there's too many factors to consider. All right, so should we love? Absolutely. Should we do everything that we could do? Absolutely. But we still got to operate with wisdom. We still have to consider the law where it applies in order to be effective. And, and those are good grounds to land on as a child of God. That's what I got for you on that. You said it was good stuff? All right. Stand to your feet. Let's get ready to close this morning. Um, I had a feeling we wouldn't even be able to get through most of this. So what do we learn today? All right. A couple of things. One, all right, we have got to separate ourselves from the mindset of this world. And we have got to make sure that our view on issues are not politically charged or following talking points or agendas that are set up by parties and media to create spin to get us to go one way or another. we got to be smarter than that. Okay? We've got a, a bigger picture to consider. There's more at stake here. We're talking about setting ourselves up as a Christian community to be able to do what God has called us to do in reaching this world with the gospel of Jesus. Now, I didn't even get into how this is immigration and gun control, and these issues are playing a part in a bigger picture biblically, all right? I, I probably did about 25% of what I wanted to do on this issue, but I felt like I needed to spend a lot of time on this. We'll get to it as we get to it. How does this issue right here that we talked about come into play when you consider biblical prophecy and what you read about in the book of Revelation? We hadn't even touched on that yet. Okay, there's a lot to consider. It's more than just what's happening today in 2019. There's a whole lot more in play. There's a whole lot more at stake. So we can't get sucked into that. And we've got to make sure that we are considering all the angles and operating in wisdom and getting as much information as we possibly can and not 
creating points of view because of our past, the political affiliations that our families may have had in the houses that we grew up in, um, not making decisions based on what we see coming across the news. We have to make sure that we're getting all the legitimate information, and it's getting tougher and tougher to find out there. We've got to make sure that we're getting as much information as we can and then putting it through the filter of what the Bible says to do. And there's solid ground that we can stand on there. I don't think the church should be divided on this at all. We can be united in wanting to help people. Now, are there different ways to do it? Yeah, but there shouldn't be a point of division in the church. You shouldn't see Christians debating on Facebook over silliness like this. You know how stupid that looks to the world? Who's going to take us serious? Who's going to take us serious if we're mocking people groups and not showing love? Who's going to take us serious if we're jabbing each other and, and publicly showing division and, and, and not getting behind the gospel of Jesus? Nobody's going to take us serious. I wouldn't take us serious, you know? There are bigger things at stake. And as we're heading into this election cycle, there's a lot that we're going to need to consider. All right, so we're going to come back, and we're going to do part two of this, and we're going to talk about the rest of the immigration stuff. We're going to look at gun control, gun laws, and whether or not we even have a right to, to carry arms. Uh, you might be surprised at what the Bible has to say about that, and you might be shocked at what the Bible doesn't say about that. And we're going to